church. So great that you are here with us today. We are starting 2018 off with a brand new teaching series, and it's called Deeper Things. And the purpose of this series is for us to grow in our relationship with God, for us to go deeper in our level of faith, and for us ultimately to mature into the people God has called us to be, which is people who are like his son Jesus. Now last week, Pastor Michael, our youth and young adults uh, pastor, kicked off the series and he talked about reading the Bible and going deeper when it comes to studying God's Word. And if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you that you would either go to our website or go to iTunes and download his message, check it out. It's definitely worth your time and I want to make sure that you're not missing out on any part of this series. So uh, if you haven't had a chance to hear him, I want to encourage you to do that. Well, if you and I have not met before, my name is John, and I'm actually one of the volunteers here at Eastside City Church. I work with our senior leadership team, and it really is a privilege for me to be able to share. I was asked by Pastor Todd uh, to talk today on the subject of prayer. Now, I have a caveat as we begin, so before you tune me out, I need something, I need to say something that's really important right at at the start of the message, okay? And the thing that I need to share with you is this. That my goal today is not to make you feel guilty about the lack of prayer in your life. Okay, and the reason I say that is because most of the time when I'm the one in the seat listening to someone preach on prayer or teach on prayer, I spend most of the message feeling guilty. And the reason that I feel guilty is because there's a gap in my life. There's a gap between how much I feel like I should be praying in comparison with how much I am actually praying. And I think it's quite common whenever we talk on this subject for people to sort of feel guilty about how little they're praying or, or how consistently they're not praying. And I wanted to say right from the outset that that is not our goal, certainly not my goal here today. I, I read a quote by a, a Scottish pastor named William Philip, and he said this, I want to share it with you. He said, it is tragic that often through sermons and talks like this one, many Christians, far from rejoicing in the joy and privilege of prayer to a loving Heavenly Father, are discouraged and depressed with a sense of constant failure about their prayer life. So often when you ask anyone about their Christian walk, one of their first answers is, well, my prayer life is not what it should be. Well, our goal is not to depress you, not to make you feel guilty, not to shame you. But I do want to start off by by doing a little bit of a poll here, just by show of hands. How many people here today would say that you believe in the power of prayer? Now, hold on, hold on. Before you raise your hands, wait, wait. We're not done. You believe in the power of prayer, but you recognize that there is a gap between how much you feel like you should be praying or you think you should be praying and how much you actually pray. Okay, now, now go ahead. Okay, so I, probably a good majority in the room. We're, we're on the same page. And I think there's all kinds of reasons for that. I think one of the reasons why we don't pray as much as we think we should or perhaps we should be doing is because uh, we have very busy lives. We have all kinds of things that compete 
for our attention. And so often, you know, we rush through the day. You know, we get up and it's a mad scramble to get out the door to go to work or to school or to get the kids off to school. We go through the daily things that we have to do, the things that have to get done, whether that's in our career or in the schooling we're doing or in the chores and family life and the busyness of everything that's going on. At the end of the day, we find ourselves rushing to, to get something to eat, get the kids off to bed. Uh, you know, we, we collapse on the couch for a few minutes in front of the television and boom the the day is done and there's been times where you know I was in a situation listening to somebody teach on prayer and I was like man did I pray this week I hope I prayed this I did pray for dinner that one night okay well I prayed a little bit this week I I think I think another reason why uh, sometimes we don't pray as much as we think we should or we ought to is because uh, we've prayed before and we find it boring Now, I know you're not supposed to say things like prayer is boring in church, but I've been in a lot of situations where I was praying, and let me tell you, it was boring. In fact, I've I've prayed in situations where it was so boring that I fell asleep. Now, I know that that has never happened to any of you because you're so strong and mature in your faith, Um, but I'll confess here that I have fallen asleep while praying. Now, I will will say this. I recommend that uh, not praying while lying in bed head on the pillow, covers up and tucked in. That is, that is not a great posture for prayer um, because what happens is you'll start off. It'll start off usually pretty good. You lay down, you pull the covers up, and then you're like, dear God. Whew. Whoa, okay. Sorry. Sorry, Jesus. I, just, uh, I know we just started talking, but it's been a long day, and now I'm, uh, man, I'm tired. I, you know, I was... I was wondering if I was going to be able to sleep tonight. Apparently the answer is if I just start praying, I will fall asleep right away. Wake up the next morning, wonder if I've prayed at all. I think another reason why we often don't pray as much as we we think we should, uh, outside of boredom and outside of, of busyness, is because sometimes we're just not even sure what it is we're supposed to pray about, or we're not sure what the right words are. We're not sure if we're saying it the right way. We're just, we feel like, I don't know if I'm, I'm doing it right. I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to talk to God. I don't know what the lingo is. And so we hold back because we're just like, he- we're hesitant. We're like, I don't, I don't really know how to pray. My wife and I, we have uh, two daughters. One is five, one is seven. Uh, my seven-year-old, one of the things that's very exciting for her right now at her stage of life is she's losing all of her baby teeth. Baby teeth, they're coming out. In fact, right now, she's missing both of her two upper front teeth. Um, and poor kid, it happened right before Christmas. And every adult she met for like two weeks said the same thing to her. Hey, have you ever heard that song? All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Yeah. The, the trouble is, is that, um, and I don't know, I, I, I apologize if I insult anyone here, especially if you are one of the people that said that to her. <laughs> but this is why children roll their eyes at adults, because all adults think the same thing when they see something like that. They all assume that what they're thinking is unique and somehow funny. And so they say it, and then the child is like, oh my goodness, like the 20th adult just said that to me. That's why children roll their eyes. Somehow, there's, we hit an age where our humor starts to all blend together as grown-ups. And we all start thinking the same things are funny. And before we, 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 
shouldn't even open our mouth, but, but we just think that what we have to say is so cute. Uh, this happened to me years ago. I worked at a golf course. I was like 13, 14 years old, and I would, you know, mow the fairways. And you'd have to stop the mower when somebody came by that was golfing. And I'm not making this up. Every single group of people that came by my mower looked at me, saw that I was really young, and they said the exact same thing to me. Every day, all day long. No exaggeration here. They said, hey, you, you got a license for that thing? And they all thought they were hilarious. I'm now at the stage in life where I have to stop and think to myself before I say something dumb like that, is this the same thing that this clerk or person that I'm dealing with has heard all day long every day? Probably they have. And I'm the 20th person to say it, and they're just rolling their eyes going, just some other moron that had to say something. This was totally an aside. It has nothing to do with what I want to talk to you about today. But I just thought I'd throw it out there, okay? Just, just an added bonus to the material that we're going through. So my daughter, Sarah, that's seven, when the first tooth on the top of her mouth started to become loose, it got to the point where it was giving her a little bit of pain. It was bleeding a little bit. She could actually pull it like almost halfway out and kind of twist it around. It was really gross. I mean, even as a parent, you're like, really? Just pull it out. And look, daddy will pull it out for you. She's like, no, 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 no. She did not want either myself or her mother to pull it out. She was scared it was going to hurt. She didn't want us to touch it. And there was nights where, like, she couldn't get to sleep. We're up in her room over and over again because she's complaining about the pain of this toothache. And we're like, look, we got an easy solution. We'll just pull it out for you. She's like, no, no, no. It's just going to come out on its own. And then there was one morning where I was uh, helping getting them ready for school. And uh, she says to me, when she gets up and she's getting dressed, she says, Dad, she said, last night I prayed that my tooth would come out before I went to school today. And God didn't listen to me. She said, God didn't answer my prayer. God didn't hear me. And in that moment, honestly, like I was like, the cynical part of me was like, I, I literally looked up at the ceiling. I was like, really, God? Really? My, here's my, my seven-year-old little girl is asking you for something that's super easy for you to do that would totally have built up her faith because she would have been so excited if she prayed this prayer quietly, privately, and then God answered it. She would have come you know, running into our room in the morning saying, I prayed about this and God answered my prayer. And, and yet when she wakes up, she's still got the tooth. She's on her way to school. The tooth is still in. God didn't answer her prayer. And now she's discouraged about it. And I, and I was, I was a, little bit, a little bit choked. I was like, really, God? Come on. And I realize that that's probably the exact same scenario that many of us have found ourselves in over the years. But where the stakes were a lot higher than just a loose tooth. I think for a lot of us who have been Christians for any length of time, there are things that we pray for, that we earnestly have sought God for, that we've asked him, and then he hasn't come through for us. Where we're, we're left standing there looking up at the sky going, really God, like you couldn't, you couldn't have done this for us? Or, or you couldn't have helped this person that I was praying for? God, I wasn't even praying for me, I was praying for them. How come you didn't come through on that? And we get discouraged. And I think more than any other factor, that is probably one of the greatest reasons why we don't pray as much as we think we should. Because of discouragement. 
And so we pray less, we seek God less, we expect less. Because then if we don't get our hopes up, we we won't be disappointed. And I realize that in most parts of life, that is a terrible approach. Some of you, that may be your natural approach to things. You may say to yourself, well, if I just don't get my expectations up, then I won't be disappointed. And if something happens to be good in my life, then I'll be surprised and happy about that. That, I mean, that's, that's not a good way to live. But I realize it's easy for us to slip into even without realizing it. And so the big question for us to to look at today is knowing that there's often this gap in our prayer lives and knowing that there's all kinds of reasons why maybe we don't pray, how do we go deeper when it comes to prayer? How do we overcome those disappointments that we've had in the past? How do we get past the busyness of life and make prayer a priority? What what is it that's going to take us from a place where we feel apathy about prayer to a place where we feel excited about it? You know, what's going to take us to a place where we're discouraged to a place where we're encouraged? And that's what I want us to look at during the remainder of our time together today. How do we move forward on a very practical level without guilt, without shaming us into just simply praying more? How do we take things deeper, especially as we're at the beginning of this brand new year? And what I want us to do is I want us to look at a passage of Scripture in the Bible where there's an example of someone else that's praying. Now, there are lots of great passages in the Bible that teach us on prayer. Jesus himself taught on prayer. Uh, But a lot of what you'll see when you study prayer as a whole throughout the Bible is examples of other people praying to God. And I want us to look at one of those examples that's found in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. And if you have a Bible or a smartphone with a Bible on it, I'll get you to turn there with me in just a moment. But I want to give you a little bit of the background before we dive into this, just on the book of Ephesians itself. So the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul who was one of the greatest missionaries of all time. And Paul, when he wrote this book, it was actually initially a letter that he wrote to the church that was located in a city called Ephesus. And this letter that he wrote to the the church in Ephesus is what we now have as the book of Ephesians. And if you were to read it as a letter, the first part of the letter is about what we believe. It's, It's theology. It's about who God is and what we are to think as followers of Jesus. And the second half of the letter is more of the actual practical application of how we believe what we believe should affect the way that we're living. And this prayer that we're going to look at at the end of chapter 3 is kind of tucked right in the middle of these two sections. Now it's also important for us to to know that when Paul wrote this letter to the church there, he was writing it while he was imprisoned in Rome. And so that sets a little bit of the stage for the letter that we're going to look at and the particular passage that we're going to look at today. And we're actually not going to start right at the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. We're going to start a few verses before that in uh, verse 12 of the chapter to sort of set up prior to getting to the actual prayer that Paul prayed. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 starting in verse 12. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. 
So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. Now, before we go on to the actual prayer that Paul prayed, I want us to stop and go through a couple of these verses just so that we're all on the same page. Starting with verse 12, Paul writes, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Now, why that is so important for us to be aware of, especially in the context of prayer, is it means that as a Christian, we don't have to approach God by groveling. We don't have to approach God in a manner where we're saying, oh God, I I know you should never have to listen to me, but would you please, 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 please listen to my prayer? It says that we can come boldly and confidently when we approach God. And the reason that we can do that is because when we repent of our sins and we invite Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of our life, when we invite Jesus into our life and we put our faith and our trust in him, what happens is God no longer sees our sin. He no longer sees our past mistakes. He no longer sees the hang-ups and the hurts of our past. Now, when God looks at us, what he sees is the perfection of Jesus. So when we approach God, we don't have to come groveling before him. We can approach him with boldness and confidence because we have been adopted into God's family as his sons and his daughters. And that is critical for us to be aware of when we pray. Now that doesn't mean when we approach God that we shouldn't ask him to forgive our sins. We shouldn't confess our sins. That's biblical. Absolutely we should. But it should change the attitude, the framework by which we're approaching God. We can come boldly and confidently when we approach him. Now in verse 13, Paul goes on and he says, So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Here he's referencing the fact that he's in prison in Rome. And he's basically telling the the church in Ephesus, You don't have to feel bad that I'm suffering here. Because it's all worth it in my mind if it means that the the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Christ is being spread and people are putting their faith in him. He's saying it's worth it. He said, don't worry about my suffering. He says, I'm glad to do it for the sake of what God's accomplishing through me. And then in verse 14, he says, when I think of all this, now when he's talking about the all this, what he's referring to is all of the things he's written so far in the letter, which we haven't gone over yet. But, and nor are we going to dive into because we'd be here for a very long time. But just to give you a little bit of an overview of some of the things that Paul was writing to them about right before this section we're looking at, Paul talks about how incredible it is that God had this plan to redeem the whole world and forgive the whole world of their sin through Jesus. He talks about how incredible that plan is. Then he talks about how incredible it is that God is using him to reach people. Because what you may not know about Paul is that before Paul became the greatest missionary of all time, Paul was trying to kill people that believed in Jesus. Literally was hunting them down to kill them. Which is a pretty drastic change of heart. And so Paul is talking about how incredible it is that God is using him. And then he talks about how great it is that God's plan is to use the church, the people of God, the community of faith, 
in such a great way so that the, the word of God is preached and so that there are people looking after one another and living in this great sense of awe and wonder at the God they serve together in community. He talks about God's great plan for the people of the church. And so he says, then, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray. Now, in our culture, it's not unusual for people to, to kneel when they pray. It's a common posture of prayer. If you grew up in the Catholic or the Anglican church where it's a little bit more formal, they often have little pads that you can kneel on during different parts of the service. You actually kneel and pray. You know, we've got Norman Rockwell paintings of people kneeling in prayer, you know, with their hands folded. We don't think of that as anything unusual, but for a Jewish man in Paul's day, they never would have kneeled to pray. That would have been highly unusual. In fact, the way that he would have been traditionally taught to pray would, as a Jewish man would be standing with his palms up towards the sky. And so why, it, why it's important for us to just take note of that is because Paul, Paul here is so in awe of the great things that God's doing that he, he's literally abandoned the normal way that he would pray and stand before God and it's literally driven him to his knees. And then he says this, he says, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. The creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Notice who it is that he's praying to here. He's praying to the supreme ruler and creator of the universe. I think it's so important for us to be reminded who it is that we're praying to. I don't know why, but it's so easy for me to become complacent. And when I think about who it is that I'm praying to, I often lose the wonder and the awe. For whatever reason, it's easy for us just to think of, you know, we're just, we're just praying, we're just saying these things to God, and we forget who it is that we're actually praying to, who it is that we're communicating with. Because it is an incredible privilege for us to be able to approach the one who spoke the universe into being, who placed the moon and the stars in the sky, the, the galaxies around us, the planets, and even every living being and creature on, on the earth itself. That's who we're praying to. And yet we seem to so easily lose sight of how incredible it really is. The, the pastor of the largest church in the United States, Craig Rochelle, he says this. He says, prayers aren't empty words hurled at the sky. They're the most important conversations of our lives. And if today you walk out the door and you forget everything else that I've said, I hope the one thing that you will hang on to is this. That when your view of God gets bigger, your prayers will be bolder. When your awe of God increases, your faith releases to an entirely new level. The, the level of faith that you have is directly proportionate to the view that you have of God. And so the question then that we have to ask ourselves is, is my view of God too small? 
is my view of who God is too small? Because who Paul is praying to here is the creator of the universe. And in fact, if you look through the Bible over and over and over again, you will see in the the examples of prayers that we have that people address their prayer right off the bat to the creator of all, the one true God, the supreme king of kings and lord of lords over all. When your view of God gets bigger, your prayers are going to get bolder. When you stop limiting who it is that you're praying to and you start believing and your faith starts increasing, your prayers are going to get bigger and they're going to get bolder. Because who we're serving isn't some God that's made out of some kind of material. It's not a made-up God. It's the God that literally sustains life on the earth. When your awe of God increases, your prayer faith releases to a whole new level. And I hope that resonates in your spirit. I hope it sticks with you. I hope as you're walking throughout the next week that at some point that phrase keeps coming back in your mind, that your view of God and who he is needs to get bigger. Our awe of who we're serving needs to get bigger because that's going to affect how we pray. And in fact, that even affects how we respond when God doesn't respond to our prayers the way we want him to. Because when we pray to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when our faith level and our awe level has increased, it will become less about bending God's will to our own and more about submitting to his will because ultimately he knows best. I want us to now look at the actual prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. It's in chapter 3, starting at verse 16. I'm going to pick it up, though, from the previous verse where he says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should. I love how he throws that in there. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then he ends his prayer by saying this. He says, now all glory to God who is able. Turn to your neighbor and say, he is able. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What an incredible prayer. What an incredible prayer. He's praying that the people in the church in Ephesus would become stronger in their faith. That the roots of their understanding would grow down deep into God. 
that Christ would come and dwell in their hearts, that they would see the power of God in their lives. And then he prays two other very specific things. He, he prays that they would have the power or the ability to understand the incredible depth of God's love. And then beyond that, not only would it be something that they have with their head knowledge, but they would experience God's love. That they would know it, not just on a, on a cognitive level, but on an experiential level, that they would know what it is to be loved by God. Imagine if these were the kind of prayers that we were praying over people in our life. Imagine if these were the kind of prayers that we were praying over our spouses, over our closest friends, over the people that we do Bible study with or we're in a small group with, over our children, over the leaders in our church, over the pastors. I declare that prayer over Pastor Todd and Jan today. That the depth of what God is doing in their hearts would continue to grow deep and he would keep them strong through every circumstance. That they would not only know God's love, the incredible depth of it, but they would experience it at a whole new level. What an incredible prayer. I want you to take note that, that Paul's prayer is specific and it's big. And I believe these are the kind of prayers that we should be praying. Things that are specific and big. Because I think one of the common mistakes that we make is our prayers are very small and very general. And we're all guilty of it at one point in time. Sometimes because we just, we kind of run out of things to pray in that moment. We're sort of like, well, God, just uh, be with me. And God's like, I am. I promised in my word that I would never leave you or forsake you. You can't escape my presence. Doesn't matter where you are. You can't escape me. I'm here. Got something else for me? You know, it's like, you know at the end of a Christmas carol? And Tiny Tim, you know who I'm talking about? Tiny Tim's like, God bless us, everyone. That's the kind of prayers that we often pray. You know, my, my five-year-old, when she prays, one of the things that she prays consistently is, God, protect everyone I know. It's very sweet. She wants everyone that she knows and loves to be protected, right? And, and as her father, I pray protection over, over my daughters. And so that's one of the things that they have sort of started to repeat. And her, her version of it is, God, protect everyone I know. Even if she's praying for dinner, she, she often forgets to pray for the food. And she prays, God, protect everyone I know. And it's very cute, but it's also age-appropriate for a five-year-old. But as people who've been Christians for many years, those are often the kind of prayers that we still pray. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> I want to challenge you that you would take your prayer life deeper and you would pray prayers that are bold and prayers that are specific and faith-filled. I don't think that when we pray and we're bored, it's because God is boring. We're kind of boring ourselves in that situation. That's what we're doing. We're choosing to be bored. 
And the reason is, is because we forget who it is that we're praying to. When my view of God gets bigger, my prayers get bolder. When my awe of God increases, my level of faith in prayer releases to a whole new level. I want to give you another example of, a, of an incredibly faith-filled prayer. Some of you will be familiar with a man named Martin Luther. He was uh, someone who led the reformation of the church in the 1500s. And Martin Luther had a, a colleague, somebody that was a, a great friend to him and, and a fellow worker in the Reformation. His name was Friedrich Myconius. And in 1540, Friedrich Myconius became very sick. He became very ill. And he was on his deathbed. And it was actually at the point where he could no longer even speak. And he wrote a letter to Martin Luther. And his letter basically said, Dear brother, the, the end is near. I'm ready to go see Jesus. You know, sayonara, I love you, farewell, good luck. Those aren't the exact words, okay, just to clarify. But that was the basic gist of the letter. And I want to read to you the letter that Martin Luther wrote Myconius back. This is what he wrote him back. He says, I command you in the name of God to live, because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never... Let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Myconius wasn't even able to read the letter himself. Someone had to read it to him. He was literally hours from the end. And when he heard that letter that his friend and colleague Martin Luther sent him... It filled his spirit with so much faith, faith that he literally stood up, was completely healed, and lived for another six years. In fact, he didn't die until two months after Martin Luther died. The Lord will never let me hear that you're dead. Not only do I need you to keep working on what we're working on here together... But I don't even want to ever hear the words that you've died before me. No, you're going to have to get the news that I died first. That was his prayer. It was big. It was bold. It was specific. And it was faith-filled. And do you want to know why? Because Martin Luther knew who it was that he was praying to. And he had no hesitation in asking with boldness and with confidence to his Father in heaven, the creator of the earth, to heal his friend and restore his health so that he could continue the great work that he was doing in the name of Jesus in reforming the church. I mean, amen to that. As we close our service together, there's a couple things that uh, I want to throw out to you, a couple questions that I want to ask. First of all, I want to throw out a challenge that you would decide you would make a decision that you are going to pray over the next seven days for something big, something specific. That, that you would take up the challenge to pray for something. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I don't even pray. I, I don't pray at all. Or I'm a brand new Christian. 
or I'm not even a Christian, I want to throw the challenge out to you that you would pray to the God who hears your prayers for something big and bold and specific over the next seven days. And I don't know if God will respond in that time period. And, and maybe at the end of the seven days, you will have that faith in your heart to continue praying for whatever it is. But I want you to start by taking time every day over the next seven days to start forming this habit of spending that regular time in prayer. It's like anything else in your life. It, it, it will only happen if you choose to make time for it. If you decide that it's important enough that you're going to take the time to do it. And may, maybe for you, you need to put a little alarm in your phone. And at a certain time every day, that alarm's going to go off and say, hey, it's time to pray. You know, maybe you're one of those people that, like, it's hard for you to, to speak things out loud, but you, you could write it down and you could keep a prayer journal where you could write out your prayers to God. I live in a house uh, with four other women, not other women, but four women, and I'm the only male in the house. It's hard for me to find anywhere in the home where I'm alone, even in the bathroom. Like, I have small children. If you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's no such thing as privacy. I often pray while I'm driving. I got 30 minutes each way to work and back. And during my commute, that's where I spend time with the Lord. I listen to the Bible uh, through, the, through the, the audio system. And, and I'll spend time in prayer because that's, that's one of the few places where I'm really by myself. I don't know what will work for you. But it's important that you find some way to spend that time talking to Almighty God because He's waiting for us. He, he's ready, willing, and able. And what an incredible opportunity we will have wasted if we spend our lives as followers of Jesus in a prayerless state. When we have access to a God who cares about every detail of our lives. Would you take up the challenge, church, to pray? Would you take up the challenge, church, not to pray generic, simple prayers, but big, faith-filled prayers?